the question that I had was, um, what about like if I wanted to send money directly to a family member in Mexico? Is that something that you guys are into or no? It's something that in a way it's already possible. And I mentioned the web uh, interface because we right away asked for the personal information that we need. Okay. The bill pay app, though, it's a little bit different in, in the experience because imagine that that you're going to pay your electric bill through like a third party system. And then they start asking you for personal information and, and, and when were you born? So this is like kind of weird. Those things are preventing people from using these services. So, for example, in, in the same way, the bill pay app that we have, we want to have a version that doesn't have all those complexities, all those like KYC requirements up front. Right. So the way that we see at that is we have the bill pay app that can be used without giving your entire personal information uh, up front. And then obviously there are some features that you cannot have access to, which is like sending money peer to peer or sending money to a bank account. Those are things that we actually provide today, okay. but they're not immediately available for those reasons that I mentioned. The way that people would have access to those extra features is to provide, upgrade your account, provide those uh, extra information that we require as a company that complies with regulations and anti-money laundering procedures uh, so that we can facilitate those peer-to-peer -peer payments and payments to basically any person or any bank account uh, real time. But but again, the, with the web app that we today have, people can do it uh, right away. They can, they can just go and create an account, provide that information. They would understand why, why we're requiring that, that information and they can effectively pay any person in Mexico real time. I've got an employee and uh, I know they send money back and they mentioned to me because I actually told them we're, that we'll be having this conversation. One of the hurdles that they find is there's a limit to how much money they can send over. I want to say they say maybe like 800 a month. You know, if they're able to go through the process, upgrade the account, would they be able to send as much as they wanted? Yeah, it's, I mean, in a way, like all these things that people complain about in terms of the experience of, of some financial apps, they have to do with regulations. So regulations, honestly, like I understand like why they're there and we all want to prevent money laundry, but in a way that it's, it's very hard because it creates a lot of friction. Right. So in one way, you're trying to create inclusion by making simple for someone to use digital money, but you have this other side, which is creating barriers for them to use those tools. Uh, so in a way, like it's, it's something that we as tech companies are always fighting against and also trying to find specific areas in which we can skip some of these things under specific circumstances so we can make it friendlier and, and, and easier. And that's, it's tricky. It's always tricky, but but definitely there's always a way to, to make improvements in the, in the user experience. Awesome. So uh, how did you go about choosing Stellar? There's a lot of options out there. You have Ripple, Ethereum. Why Stellar? We've done a fair amount of development in the platforms that you mentioned. Probably we were like the first ones moving real money over the Ripple protocol. Really? Back in probably 2014, we were already using it. 
it was early at, at the time because actually what Instellar is called anchors at the time, there were a few companies acting as, as those in, in the Ripple ecosystem. In that project, I think they call them gateways or they used to call them gateways. But what I can say is we are in the payments space and there aren't a lot of projects uh, in the blockchain space that are optimized for payment. So now it's very evident that you cannot use Ethereum for payment. It's something radical needs to happen before projects like ours can emerge in the Ethereum ecosystem because I've paid myself like fees of, you know, like $12 <laughs> for an Ethereum transaction in the past few weeks. Right. So I, I understand why people do it, but it's kind of a different area. I'm not saying that it's worse or better. It's just like it allows different use cases and it, it has other drivers for people to, to go and, and use it. Uh, what we're trying to solve is very aligned with what Stellar actually is trying to solve as, as a foundation, as a, as a system, as, as an ecosystem. So early on, when we were... When I say we, because we, I've been working with, with my team for years on mobile payments. Actually, back in, I think, pre-Bitcoin, me and what our software architect, we were at the time trying to create an SMS-based payment system, kind of what M-Pesa is in, in Africa. We ended up like seeing that there's a lot of friction because like you rely on on technology that only it's not internet but it's like based on, on on the teleco company and that's why that thing didn't work and I, I ended up working for a big teleco company in a similar project that didn't scale for, for for the same reasons because if you're not using internet so you can only have access to a group of users of a single teleco company a single carrier and it's so it's so hard to scale and that was the main problem in, in africa right so so mobile money was great but the problem was that it was not interoperable so i think in back in 2013 i was or end of 2012 i was reading about bitcoin and, and it blew my mind i realized from the payment perspective it, it was filling a gap that i saw early on which is like a money translator because my, my question before was okay i have this digital peso that it's backed by fiat deposits and there's something like that in europe but what is gonna actually make a european country to trust those digital pesos or the, or the other way around so you really need to have an asset that can be, I mean, people think that it may be like a dollar issued by a federal uh, government or, or, the, or the central bank. But the reality is that the U.S. doesn't work that way. And it's very slow in a way. And also, like, we have Bitcoin. I mean, in the last 10 years, it's an asset that has matured. And it's an asset that can translate money because basically someone can accept, maybe the European company that I was talking about may not accept the digital peso, but they definitely would accept Bitcoin and they would immediately sell it for the currency that they want to hold, in that case, euro, and that's it. So you don't have to be exposed to the Bitcoin volatility. In that way, uh, I remember that probably first time I bought Bitcoin, I, th I think I, I, maybe not the first time, but the second time was using uh, local Bitcoins. And 
local Bitcoins is using exactly that. He's using Bitcoin as, as a money translator. But, you know, they, the exchange rates are really bad because there are manual orders that market makers are providing to the system. So I realized that there was something missing there and that uh, there was a space for a single protocol to, to have the asset that has no counterparty risk, this like digital native, but also a protocol that supports other currencies. So when I read about Ripple and it made a lot of sense to me because I was exactly thinking along those lines. Hmm. It was like, you have a protocol that actually has these native asset, but also in the same stack, you can basically uh, manage digital fiat. And so when I saw that project, I actually started to look at it very closely and, and playing with it. And the problem with Ripple was that it actually stopped believing in the idea of having a single network with those different assets that represent real world assets. And actually, even if they have something similar to what Stellar has now, they stopped uh, using it years ago hmm. because they realized that, uh, as I said, like you need to be, it's not easy to find those businesses that today they would be well known as stable currency issuers. But the reality is that in 2015 or, or, or I mean, the companies that were issuing those assets were taking huge amounts of regulatory risk. And in a way, there was no regulatory framework that these projects could be under. The result of that was that there was a lot of malicious actors and it prevented that ecosystem of, of different uh, tokens to emerge. And they kind of like switched gears and started focusing on, on other projects that were actually not using the Ripple Ledger. So in a way, like they stopped themselves working with startups and they like focused on other products that they had that were not actually uh, using the Ripple Ledger at all. Hmm. And, and then like I started looking at Ethereum because people were using Ethereum as, as a substrate for issuing stable coins, which today it's a very successful use case. But as I said, if you are trying to facilitate micropayments, it's, it's a really, really tough network to work with. I've always been confused about that one, is that there's so many stable coins that are being created on Ethereum, but it's so expensive. I, I just, I, I never, I, I just, I guess I don't understand. Am I missing something? <laughs> is there something that Ethereum offers that, you know, lends people to want to create stable coins on, on the network? For several reasons, Ethereum has created an interesting substrate for people to create native assets. So something that, for example, it's uh, we haven't seen in other networks is that instead of like reflecting or, or representing assets that live elsewhere, and that you're just trying to create a digital representation of, of those, for the functionalities that a network like Ethereum offers, uh, some people have been able to create assets that are native to that network. So you can have things like, for example, Maker or things like Uni that are governance tokens and things like that, that are basically only live there, you know, and that that's something interesting that it's only possible because they have a, a full like virtual machine that you can create a very complex functionality. But it's highly experimental and it's not something that can scale. And this is something that it's well accepted that you're bounded. 
you are not trying to solve a real world problem. Mm. You are trying to, you know, it's, it's a different purpose why these companies are, are trying to do these things. Uh, so we as, as a company, for example, like the reason why we are using Stellar is because we want to scale beyond crypto. Crypto in a way like feels that very limited compared to the world. Mm -hmm. It feels different if you're inside crypto, but the reality is that the world is so big and so diverse that at some point after being like a lot of time playing around with crypto, you end up feeling that you are very limited and bounded. So, so you would, what you really want to do is, is like create impact to people who don't care about like all of the, the things that happen sometimes in crypto and that people are, are just trying to solve or find solutions to their problems. I didn't see migrant workers very much um, involved in Bitcoin or, or crypto. And we want it to be where these uh, migrant workers are. So that's, that's why like, I think Stellar has been very good at thinking of a system that it's actually good for projects who want to abstract away all the complexities that crypto has. And also it has stick to the original plan of creating like this network of different uh, real world assets represented in a single network that uses the same protocol as a native internet currency and also facilitates an order book that enable transactions and conversion of one asset to another. And that's, uh, that's something that we're excited about and, and that makes Stellar like the best project right now for the thing that we're trying to do. It's a long answer, but I mean, this is, I think, a long podcast and, and that's why I like it. No, I think that was great. No, no. I mean, you, you've all been someone that I respected even more so now because I've learned so much about your extensive background and the amount of thoughts and um, care that you put into what you're creating. So you answered a lot of great questions as far as between Ripple, Ethereum. It's one of those things where sometimes in the crypto community, people are what we call maximalist. And that's something that I, I just don't believe in. You know, I believe that there's different use cases for everything. And so, it, you know, where we are right now, I think as a community is if we want to move forward, it's important that we start to clearly define what Ethereum is great at and what their limitations are, what Stellar is great at and what its limitations are. And you were able to really describe that in a clear way. Uh, so, you know, you've been involved in the community for a while. Uh, how has your experience been working with the Stellar Development Foundation? Yeah, as, as I said, I think their goals are really aligned to our goals. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's easy to work with, with someone or with some entity that actually is seeing the same opportunity uh, of creating a new financial system. So I think that in a fundamental way, like we, we are very, very much aligned. They are trying to make as much as possible to create like a minimum viable network, right? With, with a minimum uh, number of anchors, you know, be, because at the end of the day, we're all trying to create some network effects. Why would you use something like Stellar or any other network? It's because the people are there, right? Because there are some minimum amount of activity already happening. And before that, you need to bootstrap that activity. And we're at that stage. Mm -hmm. You need to support a lot, like the, the projects that are creating that minimum viable activity. If you see a network, and then th that's how like Stellar wins over like 
traditional digital money. Traditional digital money, meaning like PayPal, it's bad at some point because it's not interoperable. So it's not it's not it's not possible to send money from a PayPal account to a WeChat Pay, and both are very successful projects. But if you if, if you want to create a new type of electronic money platform, you really need to have some interoperability there. And the result of the interoperability is that you have in a single network activity that happens and that creates network effects, which is what basically you want to, to create. And, and it's so in a way, like we are trying to bring activity to the Stellar network and Stellar Foundation is trying to bootstrap the minimum viable activity so that the, the network becomes compelling enough for other projects to plug in. I see like different level of engagement in the product. So so first of all, you have the anchors, which is like this digital money, which is for sure companies that will, if they want to maintain operations like reliably, they would they would need to be regulated, right? Because mm-hmm. what you're doing, and, and this is real in, in the entire world, like if you are custodying assets for like people, you're doing something that it's going to end up being regulated everywhere in the world. So it's like, if Sam gives me 20 bucks and I write a title saying, mm-hmm. hey, Sam, I owe you 20 bucks. That's a regulated activity ac- across the board. So the anchors is a type of entity that needs to be there and that it's hard to deploy because basically there's a lot of capital investment that needs to go in these entities because this is not two people companies. Uh, this right. is like, it needs to be robust. You need to have a compliance team. You need to have engineers. You need to have a, a lot of things that we actually didn't realize like five years ago. And we've been growing a lot, a lot, because otherwise there's no way to support that activity. And then the, the, there's a different level of engagement for other projects that will come after ours. It's like, hey, you know what? I'm, we're just like three good developers and we just want to create a software that uses some digital pesos because it automates payments for companies that actually ends up paying people in Mexico who are freelancers. So those entities could leverage the Stellar network and the digital pesos that, that we offer by just writing a, a simple software and a different use case from the one that we're interested in. And that will come. But we are all like trying to bootstrap first, mm-hmm. like the, the main network activity so that it can actually be interesting for developers and for other companies. And that at the end of the day, they can see Stellar as a no-brainer. It's a way that they definitely need to be plugged into. And that's when like, you make something like Stellar, for example, a standard. When you have like, the same language that a point of sale can speak in Mexico or Nigeria. So that's the goal. So, so that you mm-hmm. can like, and, and the user, again, the user doesn't want to understand all the complexities of blockchain. They just want to like, buy a cup of coffee. So when they, they show up at a point of sale, they just want to like scan a QR code. They don't care how, I mean, what the stream looks like. They don't care about the product. They, they care about the, the money that, that it's actually efficient, that, that, that can be useful to pay for those things that they need. And that's something that it's, it's achievable by just increasing the amount of players that are in the ecosystem. And, and, and we're kind of the first piece of, of the puzzle. And, and I speak about that the anchors in general. Right, man. That's exciting. So we are obviously talking to the Stellar community and what you're starting to really articulate is the blueprint 
for Stellar becoming the standard, what can we all do as a community? You know, what can we do as a community, you know, non-coders to help make this happen? I mean, just talk more and, and give feedback, trying the things that are already there. Use saldo.mx, use it, you know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, give us feedback. We're not perfect. Uh, definitely there's something to improve. We want, we want to improve the things that um, need to be improved. And for sure, like, it's definitely something that, as you say, it's easier to achieve as, a, as an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of collaboration that's starting to happen within the ecosystem that's going to change also a lot. So when you have like a, a nice wallet solution that plugs perfectly into an anchor service, I mean, those things are happening already. And the more they happen, the, the, the more adoption and the more growth for all of us. Yeah, I'm excited. I know that SDF has Vibrant coming out soon, and, and it's always great to have more as you said, wallet interfaces creates more activity and, and more traffic. So that's always exciting. Yeah. And in general, it's really hard for a single player. It doesn't matter if it's the Stellar Foundation or an anchor to, mm-hmm. to like feel the real needs of people. Right? right. So what we don't want to do is like make a lot of assumption of what people need mm-hmm. before asking and before like having something out there that people can give feedback to. So the reality is that the world is really diverse and they don't all need the same thing. We've learned a lot from our users of what they need. Again, we we actually, even if I'm Mexican, a lot of in our team are really, really, really close to the problem that we're solving. We never thought about some of the things that that we saw from from the users. And, And that is super valuable. Uh, being like open and try, I mean, actually ship more things that even if not perfect, they're capable of, you know, being tried. And, and that's super important. Like the, this feedback loop, it needs to happen more if we want to, to like solve real world problems, right? Because at the end of the day, maybe we, we come up with something that is going gonna, is gonna to save the world, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm going to like give Bitcoin to the world and, and then we're going to save their lives. And, and the reality is that, I mean, people, they don't see the value in there. Because some of them actually live day by day, right? Especially for, for Mexico. So if, if you tell someone, you know what? If you put money in this thing, it will preserve over time. And you, you're not going to lose value because of your inflation. Honestly, they don't know if they're going to have money in their account two months from now. So like inflation, it's not a big concern for them. So a big concern for them is if they are not able to pay the rent because that's creating noise. So we really need to be creating those painkillers for them, which mm-hmm. in our case is you're reliably paying those bills that we're giving you peace of mind. We're probably automatically probably providing an insurance policy for a specific thing. Those are painkillers because you're, you are, you're solving something that they were concerned about. But if like you solve inflation for them, that's a vitamin, and they don't they don't want that. Right. They want to solve like the real problems that uh, makes them not be able to sleep peacefully, and, and and we all should be focusing on that. That's a great point. Something that I, that I can relate to personally is I think that you a lot of times you you see that where you have to really speak to the people and understand, um, and, and kind of reason why even you know with this podcast, you know my first questions are about Mexico. 
because at the end of the day, it's about who are the people? What are they dealing with? What is the the one thing that you can solve right now, as you just mentioned, that could help them sleep peacefully at night? Because when you don't have your food, your shelter, your basic needs taken care of, you can't, like you say, nothing else matters. You can't think of anything else. Nothing else matters. I've been there. I know what it's like not to have those basic needs covered. And I also know the difference that it brings mentally to move past that. And I'm just happy that you're out there speaking for everybody, listening to the community and, and bringing those things. So just sort of to wrap this up here, this is clearly the beginning of the story for you, Marco and, and Saldo.mx. I, I really see a, a bright future. Where do you see you guys 10 years from now? What, what is your ultimate goal? Yeah, well, definitely for Saldo MX needs to be the most important fintech in Mexico. It means that we need to be the digital peso that entirely eats the, the whole ecosystem of apps that uses digital money. We need to be beyond the use case for migrant workers if we want to succeed, because that's uh, why we're going through all these regulatory processes. And we need to be able to allow other use cases to be built on top. So what I'm saying is that Again, there are a lot of things to learn from other projects. So you can see the explosion of stable coins. And the reason why they are this is happening is because there are so many use cases that mm -hmm. can actually emerge from the existence of this new e-money that it's interoperable. So I think that we need to be fast enough and good enough so that the other projects can see the infrastructure that we're building as the best option for them. And that creates, again, the network effect and that creates full standard, not only of the protocol, but also like the asset that people are like accepting. So we can imagine like wallets all accepting SMX, which is our digital peso, and actually not even like financial apps, right? If you are building, for example, like a gig economy app, that pays people, you don't want to be a bank. You don't want to be a regulated entity. You, you need right. to have, and right now, if you see what, what happened in the past is that companies like Uber or companies like Airbnb yeah. had to be a regulated entity. So Airbnb, it's a money transmitter in, in a lot of states in, in, in the US. And, hmm. and that cannot happen in the future because that's not efficient. So they were able to do it because they, they raised a lot of venture money and they, and they were good operators. But in the future, you can make the things easier for everybody by just providing electronic money that is open access, which is something that we are seeing before many other projects. We, we have that first move advantage. We've seen the whole ecosystem to emerge. So we know really well what are the, the barriers, what were the challenges. We, I mean, we, we've done a lot of, of the work needed. So we actually are in a good position to win this battle and, and become like the default peso for anyone, not, not only in Mexico, but elsewhere that need to do payments denominated in, in Mexican peso. We need to be that one-stop shop. And as a result, the most important fintech in the, the, that jurisdiction. I love that answer. The most important fintech. For the listeners... Marco, if they want to utilize your services, what is the website 
that they need to go to right now to get more information and sign up? Yeah, it's uh, smx.saldo.mx. That's the custodial wallet. It's the easiest way that they can like test, create an account, be able to purchase some pesos. And yeah, then they can send over those pesos to their like non-custodial wallets as well. But we think that the first interface that needs to be there, it's easy to use. It's this custodial wallet that we offer through the URL that I just mentioned. And say that one more time. It's SM... SMX, which is actually the name of the asset that we issue on seller, SMX, dot saldo, dot MX. Awesome. And for those like who know better how to interact with Stellar, that's our home domain. So basically that's the endpoint where they can find the transfer server, the authentication server, and the federation server that we expose to the Stellar ecosystem players so that they can interact with our services. We're compliant with things like CEP24. So for example, if you already have a wallet that actually uses the Stellar and complies with CEP24, you can enable today to your users, you know, you can enable deposits and withdrawals in Maxinco through our CEP24 service that is accessible uh, in the same URL. So it's, it's fascinating what can be done. As you say, we're in early days, but we're pretty excited. All right. And you should be because I know I am. <laughs> I'm really excited. Well, thank you so much, Marco, for your time and, and your knowledge. Thank you for sharing that with us. To everybody listening, make sure to follow this project. The website, again, is smx.saldo.mx. This is Marco, Sam Connor, and we're out. Thank you, Sam.